0: I'm Mike Levy, and welcome back to another Pink Bike Podcast. Today, I've got Mike Kazimer and Sarah Moore with me for a big old Q&A episode full of questions that I've gathered from previous podcasts. Now, we've got a bunch of the usual tech stuff to answer, but we've also got questions about our opinions on marketing videos, what are the most important tools that you should own if you're only going to own a few of them, socks you should own, riding socks, Casimir. And whether we should do a field test in florida um we'll talk about that later on we've even got some questions about long distance relationship advice you should probably ignore my answer on that one before we get to that though kaz it's sunny outside the weather's nice have you been riding
1: yeah of course yeah it's been it's kind of like one of my favorite times of year though because it's when the dirt's still good it's not super hot out the days are getting a little longer I like it so yeah lots of good big rides over the weekend can
0: you tell me what bikes you've been testing lately or do you have stuff that's under embargo uh
1: no it's not yeah but most recently it's that last tarvo uh, that review is getting pretty close to being done so in the next couple of weeks two to three weeks i'd say yeah you probably see that last tarvo so that's that super light enduro bike from germany it weighs like 29 pounds with actual like real build kit on it like it has double down rear tire zeb fork but it's crazy light yeah it's been interesting to get to Get to know that thing how much travel does that thing have uh 160 in the rear 170 fork and you've been liking it is it high pivot or not it's regular suspension isn't it no it's flex flex pivot so it's flex stays on a 160 bike Whoa. which is not something you normally see so yeah and like super progressive suspension layout so it's definitely pretty different it has some different ride characteristics that are like i think some people love it some people might not love it as much but it's pretty interesting all right when does that review camocas I think in the next couple of weeks. So it's, it's getting close to wrapped up, but we have got sea otter coming out. So we'll see what the timing works out like, but pretty soon it's coming soon. So, all right, Sarah, what have you been riding?
2: Okay. So I rode mountain bikes a ton last week. And then on the weekend I actually did a moto trials clinic. So I rode a different kind of bike with a motor and yeah, it was, it was pretty cool
0: going straight up the rock faces and whatnot. Do you own, you own a trials bike, don't you?
2: I own a trials bike. Yeah, I got it in November and I'm still definitely not totally in control of it. (laughs) 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 But yeah, it's pretty impressive what it can do. Like it can, it it seems to kind of justify gravity as far as I'm concerned. The stuff that I can kind of start to go up and then what you see other people going up with these bikes, it's, uh, yeah, it's really cool.
1: Have you noticed it changing your mountain biking at all? Like, are you doing anything on your mountain bike that, you know, like handling wise or anything that changed because of the mount uh, because of the motorcycle?
2: I was like, kind of worried. Cause you know, the, the brakes are different and like different wheels and like turning radius is different and everything that it would kind of, one would be not good for the other. And like my riding would suffer because of the trials. And I was kind of more worried about that. Um, so far, like it just, they feel so different. Like the trials moto, still feels pretty foreign to me. So I don't know if I'm quite bringing things from trials to mountain biking yet i'd say that definitely like what i can bring from mountain biking to trials makes it easier to kind of like the learning curve like if i was learning how to ride a mountain bike like ride downhill basically and use a motor that would be really overwhelming but luckily since i can like ride a bike it helps with the trial stuff
0: since these trials bikes they're all about going up gnarly shit are they fun to ride back down what do they feel like when you're coming back down
2: uh, I'd say they're more fun to ride uphill than downhill, <laughs> but it's amazing. Like the, the grip that you have, like I, there's some stuff that I could ride the trials bike down that I'm not sure if I would ride my mountain bike down, but it's also like sometimes in the mountain bike, if you're, you really don't want to ride something, you can just pick it up and walk down, you know, Yeah.
0: you <laughs> and can't just pick bike, up your trials bike. Or,
2: yeah you're kind of like okay well i guess i'm just gonna ride this because i have to so yeah that's kind of like the the hard part of it or have a really good riding partner who's like oh yeah no worries i'll just ride your bike for you and you can hike so yeah i'm still still doing that a little bit
0: all right well you know what else you should do you should tell us about the news sarah because we've got a world cup downhill race we've got new bikes we've got new shocks take it away
2: we do yeah so we actually have a full pink bike racing episode on the downhill world captain lords with ben cathro james Murthwaite and henry quinney so check that out if you haven't already but i still think we have to talk about the race in the news section today because it was an incredible race did you guys watch it
1: yeah so good yes
0: uh, <laughs> <laughs> i listened to the podcast all right perfect
2: <laughs> same same yeah Um, So Anne-Marie Pierrot and Kemi Blanche won the elite categories, and Canadians, Jackson Goldstone and Gracie Hemstreet won the junior categories. The racing was really, really good, Uh, but because it was the first downhill World Cup of the season, that meant that our tech randoms were full of interesting new details, and we even spotted some new bikes. Uh, Kaz, what were some of those tech highlights from Lourdes?
1: Oh man, there's a whole bunch. It's kinda of neat to see what everybody rolled up to the races with. But saw Cube is working on a new bike. Danny Hart was on. A lot of the common soul riders are on that latest version of the Supreme. Uh, what else do we see? Trek's been doing some tweaks First on the session. First new glory since nineteen eighty seven, Kaz. <laughs> yeah, well they've kinda of had that the last few years, but now it's looking maybe closer to coming out. But yeah, the twenty nine inch glory that was that Remy Tiron on that, I think. Yep. Yep. Yeah. What else do we see? Do we know anything about the new boxer that's coming out? Yeah, we don't. It looks like it has kind of like Zeb, Zeb-ish lowers, so I venture to guess it's probably got bigger stanchions, but Henry didn't get over there with the calipers, but um, yeah, I'd imagine it's going to get an update. It's been a while since we've seen a new dual crown from RockShox, so that's on the way. Um, yeah, lots of new stuff.
2: Was that a downhill bike that Orbea had that Martin Mays was riding on?
1: Not really. They they kind of have like a program that's I think they, what do they call it "Oh-oh <laughs> Oh, oh. not remember what the acronyms? <laughs> oh- oh, yeah, I think it's something like that. but it's, it's kind of like a test program to do projects of like whatever they want. It's not just going to be for mountain biking, they're doing a bunch of different um, testing across all the, the different disciplines that they make bikes for, but it basically it looked like a Rallon with a dual crown fork on it and probably a different link to get some more travel out of it. The Rallon's 160, so I'd imagine they could squeak at least 180. And it doesn't sound like they have plans to do a downhill bike. They're just basically trying to do some testing, experimenting, and see where, where it goes. How did Martin do on that thing? Mm, he went off the track in his race run, so he didn't do mm, well. Not enough travel, yeah. maybe. <laughs> well, although, I mean, Connor Farron is racing on a Forbidden Dreadnought with 154 mils of rear travel, so oh, well. it's, uh, it's possible. But I think a dedicated downhill bike is the way to go these days. Like, the, the speeds that the riders are going, yeah. you want a downhill bike. It's crazy how fast. Like, the top 10 men and the top five women or so like when you watch the speeds of them it's like it doesn't even it doesn't make sense it's very fast
2: yeah the trees the trees move out of their way because it went so fast Mm -hmm. sometimes yeah
1: (laughs) tebow hit a tree yeah yeah. so if you
0: guys haven't listened to it yet there's also that world cup racing podcast we did our first episode from lords henry and ben cathro james smirthwaite was there as well too yeah and they did a post-race wrap-up and that was actually our second episode to be fair (laughs) Uh, but yeah, you should definitely check that out if you haven't listened to it.
2: All right. So another news, Antidote has shared a few images of the Wood Sprite, which is their upcoming trail bike. The futuristic looking purple carbon machine has 135 millimeters of rear travel and 29er wheels. Do you guys have any idea when this one is going to be ready for people to buy? It sounds like, you know, it's kind of like a spotted, but the, the brand has shared the information with us themselves.
1: Yeah. I kind of liked how they did that instead of needing to pretend that it's like a secret spy shot, they just sent over a few images and just like a few basic details. And they said, Hey, we'll have more details in the future, but thought you might like to see this. So, uh, I like that tactic, but yeah, they didn't say exactly when, but it, in the near future, I'd imagine the next month or so they'll have the full details. And then as far as availability, again, it's just kind of speculation, but it's, it's coming.
0: Kaz, do you remember when we had that antidote downhill bike, which oh, is a long time ago, like five, six, mm-hmm. seven, eight years ago or something? That thing yeah. was beautiful. What do you think of this new bike?
1: Yeah, I think it looks good too. They, they always have kind of like just interesting, real angular shapes and looks sort of futuristic. So be interested to see how this works. Looks like a little bit different suspension layout on it. Almost like a split pivot type thing going on. So it's kind of hard to see because the pictures we have are just from the drive side, but it doesn't look like the typical dual short link uh, layout that they usually use. So yeah, cool little thing coming from the small Polish company.
2: So on to a couple of new bikes that we have a little bit more information on. That's the Lapierre XR and XRM cross-country bikes. It looks like Lapierre are getting back into the cross-country racing world with the launch of these two bikes. The XR models are the purebred cross-country race models with 100 millimeters of travel front and rear and no dropper post to be found anywhere. And then the XRM models use the same frame with a different shock to get 110 millimeters of rear travel paired with 120 millimeter fork. All those models receive dropper posts. What did you guys think of these ones?
1: They're extra regular, but I think it's good. I mean, (laughs) they're the funny thing is when you look at the geometry, they're kind of on par, exactly what has been coming out for the last two years. I'd say, um, kind of in that specialized epic realm of things, but kind of, it's a good step for LaPierre if they want to get back to their XC roots. The weights look pretty light, not crazy light, but I think it's kind of a good, kind of like a middle of the road way to get back into it
2: mm-hmm. and that paint job on the silver or yeah, the gold, gold golden uh, bronze one that was a pretty good looking yeah. bike. um and you were saying the article that you kind of think this is the the cross-country marathon version is kind of the direction that the all cross country bikes are kind of going to go towards in the next couple years
1: yeah i think so kind of like you just reviewed that scott spark is it the rc that you were on yeah. and that has the that, you know it's a 120 bike but nino is winning on it so i think that we'll see things go that way. Nino
0: could win on anything. I, know I
1: need 100 mils to win,
0: Kaz. <laughs> yeah, I need less travel.
2: <laughs> okay, now for something that we've actually got our hands on for a review. thought has a review of the Olin's TTX2 AirShock. He wrote it back to back with the RockShock Super Deluxe Ultimate that his privateer test bike came with. Overall, it sounds like he liked the performance of the Olin's TTX2, but he thinks that the reason that not very many frame manufacturers use it is because it's Pricier than the alternatives. Is that a fair summary, Kaz, of the thirty five hundred word review that Seb wrote?
1: <laughs> yeah, Seb so went really in depth on it and if you want to nerd out on some shock um yeah, shock review and some kind of suspension concepts too, it's, it's definitely worth a read. But yeah, overall he, he liked it, found the adjustments to work well, performance was definitely up there with the best shocks that are available currently, but he did find that the price, you know, it's in in the UK, at least where he's based, it's about half the price of like the Fox Float X two or, or actually super deluxe rock shock super deluxe it's half the price of the Owens. so yeah pricey little shock yeah but he did like it
2: yeah it's a hard thing to make as a spec choice when it's that going to be that much more at the end cost of the bike
1: mm-hmm. and those bigger companies you know they can if you're dealing with rock shocks they can they're also sram so you can get drivetrains. trains so companies are getting discounts where Owens is just suspension so that's why you don't see them spec quite as often but we do see companies do like special edition bikes i know Common Sal will have some special edition bikes, sometimes with Olens, and I think there's a couple other brands out there. So, um, yeah, good to have more options. Totally.
2: So, to finish off the news section here, just when you think we're finally done with racing rumors season, there's another announcement. Brett reader has announced that he'll be riding for Common Sal for the next two years. He announced that he was leaving Trek after nine years with the brand back in January, and now we finally know where he's landed. And with that announcement, Reader says he's taken a step back from competition and he looks forward to keeping on pushing his creative side. So it seems like a pretty good fit, Common Sal and Brett Reader. I look forward to seeing some pretty cool media projects.
0: I think we're going to get him on the podcast as well pretty soon to talk about some of the stuff he's done and some of the stuff that he wants to do soon. So that should be a good conversation with Brett. Okay, that's it for the news. Let's move on to our questions because we have a ton of them. I don't think we're going to get through all of the questions, but I'll try to, I'll try to pick out the good ones. Um, the first bunch; these are from underneath the first episode of Henry's World Cup Racing podcast called "It's All Downhill From Here," as well as underneath episode one hundred and ten, where we talked about game-changing product ideas that didn't really work out. The first question is from Admiral Hazard. He wants to know if the race team or Henry's podcast or Henry following the circuit would have happened without outside. Um, and he says, if not, then $1.51 a month is OK with me. He says Cathar is essential viewing. Uh, this question was originally for Brian. Brian didn't make it on this show, Casimir. He missed it. Hmm. <laughs> We'll talk about that in his, yeah. <laughs> in his review later. <laughs> uh, but Brian did answer this um, in the comment section, and he said, yeah, Henry wouldn't be on the World Cup circuit, and we wouldn't have a World Cup team if it wasn't for outside, so that definitely helps. Admiral Hazer also asked if the print edition is going to get to the UK at some point soon, and the answer is yes, we're working on it, so yeah, hopefully soon, Admiral Hazzar. Uh, Next question, this is from Fenton crack shell as a home mechanic he says kaz and a former amateur racer here's what failing looks like weird internal routing and stem integration takes two to three hours to swap a brake line or do a bleed uh, or anything negatively impacting serviceability and resale value particularly unnecessary electronics like live valve or flight attendant i feel like you agree with him kaz but what do you think i would counter that we need to have some of that like crazy integration
1: (laughs) yeah i don't agree that that's what failing looks like i agree that there's some internal cable routing and stem things that are kind of silly and yeah it's i mean fail is such a strong word that i wouldn't call it failing they do add inconvenience and you don't have to purchase those items with them like there are some trends that the internal routing through the stem trend needs to go away like that i don't agree with that at all but saying that Failing is to have a like first generation flight attendant or access dropper. Those things are cutting edge when they come out and someone's going to buy them. if somebody that wants to have the latest and greatest. There's nothing. I'm not going to tell them unless the product actually doesn't work. I'm not going to tell them not to purchase it. Like, so I don't think that's failing. I think that that's, it does also doesn't negatively affect resale value. If you have an access dropper now, someone's still going to want to buy that. Like it's, they still work. I'm, oh yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So. Especially um, right now, yeah. I don't think, pro- <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I don't see that you know progress or trying new things as a failing. I think those are things that if you're a, a smart shopper, you may want to avoid some of that stuff. You know, not everybody needs to be um, the first in line, but I think it's good that there are people out there that want to do it, and that's kind of what we're here to do: is to test the stuff and see if it it is worth it. Yeah, we love being first in line. Sarah,
0: speaking of weird internal routing, and that Scott that you just tested. You lived with that bike for a little while. What did you think of the cable routing on that? Did you tinker with it at all and have a look and yeah, would you would you live with it?
2: Um let's see if it was my only bike and I was racing it, it would probably I would probably end up bringing it to a shop to get worked on, which would you know, like it's just it's a little bit more hassle than you just want to kind of tinker with at home or like changing the bars or anything like that so yeah, Do you I think it worth it, be, it
0: though. Like it I looks mean, great. It
2: looks really good. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, the trade off is that it takes it's definitely not as easy to to work on. And it had an what did it have? I can't remember now. Ooh, did it have an axis dropper too? Didn't have an axis it had a Fox transfer dropper, but it had Axis drivetrain. So it had like one less cable from the yeah. Axis uh, drivetrain. But yeah, I think I'm with Kaz that we don't need to have integration through through the stab, even though it looks, it looks really good. It's just like, you want to be able to work on your bike easily and out on the trail. Yeah.
0: From my perspective, I love the way that these new bikes look super clean with every line invisible. And I love working on bikes. And sometimes I get frustrated and scream at it when I can't like push a hose through a tiny hole at the opposite end of the frame. <laughs> you but
2: like that? See that?
0: <laughs> I, I, no, I don't like it, but I like how the bikes look and I enjoy working on the bikes and I don't mind that sort of stuff. Um, but, I like yeah riding. I can see
2: go riding. yeah't take don't okay take her too. Yeah. too long it's like <laughs> 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 tinkering's overrated <laughs>
0: yeah okay we got another one this Sarah we're gonna start with you this is from C Martin 575 he wants to know one bike that you're looking forward to riding and one bike that you wish you could forget
2: okay so I do think that I, I wasn't at the field test where you guys rode the vr one bike but I think that bike looks pretty cool and yeah, made in Canada. So I'm looking forward to trying that bike. And then one bike that I wish I could forget, um, when I first started working at Norco, I didn't own a mountain bike at the time. I like left a job at Specialized and I wasn't just gonna buy a mountain bike and then start a job with a new company. But there was a three month probationary period where I couldn't get a bike. And so I borrowed this aluminum (laughs) site with like Kind of just like a haphazard build on it and it was really heavy it had a really I think it was like a 34 tooth chainring or something so I just like would either like just fly up all the hills and like you know get to the top it's like you're doing intervals like you just couldn't go slowly up all these steep climbs that I was like oh my gosh you know first time riding in BC really and you know with this really hard uh, chain ring. Not, not ideal. Not ideal and uh it would just kind of like pogo down all the hills and uh yeah, it made me my first experience riding in BC. <laughs> not well, not ideal. I thankfully, it, the, it got better. I call it the purple <laughs> elephant and, uh, you know, <laughs> endearingly but not at all. So yeah, I could, I could yeah. forget about that bike and I think my riding experience would not be any worse.
0: Kaz, what's one bike you're looking forward to riding? And one bike you wish you could forget, why is it the ghost? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah that's uh, fair and that was going to be my answer um, <laughs> uh looking forward to riding we're going to be doing an enduro field test here in a little while so i think we might try to get that common meta sx i want to ride that bike it just kind of looks like the the geometry they actually went a little bit shorter with the reach compared to the Meta tr that was on a bunch last year you know so that thing's going to be good cas it just looks good yeah. so that's gonna be fun to ride and i think we got some strange not strange but interesting steel bikes to come in for that test too so oh. uh, we will get some outliers again so it's gonna be pretty fun so where, where yeah, is just that kind of a bunch am of, i coming to that as well uh maybe we'll talk about it after we can't say where it is yet but okay. uh, it's somewhere fun so yeah but so yeah i'm looking forward to kind of switching up from the we just did the budget bikes but now get on some enduro bikes it's gonna be fun yeah. so yeah and then bike to forget yeah i mean that ghost didn't blow me away but we've kind of been mean enough to that already so (laughs) (laughs) we don't have to talk about it anymore (laughs) okay uh what about your favorite
0: bike park in bc that's not whistler kaz that was c martin's next question
1: i haven't really ridden any i've ridden coast gravity parks fun but i haven't i need to explore more that's definitely on my list of things to do this summer is to kind of branch out from the sea to sky corridor i've ridden i guess i've ridden a fair bit of non-bike park zones but yeah i haven't been to any other ones what's your
0: favorite non-bike park zone outside of the sea sky in bc here oh uh, revelstoke yeah
1: yeah it's just amazing over there I, I like them all there's like i mean it's hard to go wrong if you just cross the border into bc then you're going to be happy just go that's to
0: any cow- town and start riding it's all yeah. good <laughs> they've got a truck everywhere
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> sarah what's your what is your favorite bike park in bc that's not whistler
2: uh, i'm trying to think what have i written i've written silver star and sun peaks revelstoke
1: Sun Probably peaks is fast.
2: sun peaks out of those. Yeah, I did an intro yeah. race there once and that was really fun. Although the the ground gets really slippery when it's wet. So there was definitely a couple like pengu- penguin slides I remember in the race because it was really wet, but the of course, it's just amazing. Wait,
0: and stop. What's a penguin slide? When
2: you like go over your handle, I guess, and over the bars, but then you like keep sliding because it's like... Oh, on your stomach. <laughs> on
0: your stomach.
2: Yeah. <laughs> is that a penguin or not? I, don't know. I think it's penguin. That's how they slide. In the the back penguins back. do that. Yeah. In Antarctica. Yeah.
0: And then when your feet kick you in the back of the head, that's the... Then it transitions to scorpion. Yeah. Penguin to scorpion. Yeah. You change <laughs> animals during your crash. <laughs> yeah. All right. Our next question is from Jadas. He wants more Palmer on the podcast, Casimir. He says, can we please have a weekly Palmer's Peeves section in the podcast, which I don't hate. And it kind of got me thinking, what other sections could we have? Casimir? if you were to have a weekly section in a podcast, would it be,
1: what, what would it be? What would it be called? Uh, Mike's Music. I'll just talk about music instead of bikes. I'm oh, that's pretty good. Yeah. i recommendations.
2: Sarah's Snacks. Sarah's
1: oh, oh yeah next. you can My share music. recipes and stuff Puppers, yeah exactly <laughs> can i can it's i just come podcast. Podcast?
2: you yeah. <laughs> <Yeah.
1: laughs> you can have like levy's laments or something you can complain a little bit too if you want
0: yeah <laughs> that would be good i would love to do that yeah because you listen to such good music you've shown me such good music so yeah i think that would be great would you would you put a spotify playlist in this podcast if i asked you to uh
1: yeah if i have time i could probably put something together okay yeah Sarah's going to do that too. Maybe I will
0: too. It's just going to be 20 Bob Seeger songs, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And hey, you know what I found? I found a guy, Kaz, who uses power meter platform pedals. We were making so much fun of those oh, SRM yeah. pedals. All right. So JS Tutel says. I know I'm not typical, but I have used power with flat pedals for years now. He says he rarely rides his XC bike, although he loves racing XC. He can use his trail bike with flat pedals for intervals. And then once he's done, he takes the same bikes and he sends it off anything he wants. It's a 170mm travel coil sprung bike with power meter platform pedals. Yeah, it sounds like kind of what we were talking about, Kaz. Like, he races... And he wants to train and stuff, but he doesn't want to ride around on a stupid race bike all the time. He wants to have fun.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, it makes sense. If it exists, somebody, yeah, there's obviously a demand from one person at least. So that's good.
0: Yeah. I just wanted yeah. to include that because I think we spent like 15 minutes just <laughs> yeah, was thrashing SRM's <laughs> pedals. So yeah, what do you know? There's somebody out there using them. <laughs> uh, next up, we got I measure stuff suggestion for a podcast segment or even better a short video well you're gonna get the first one not the second one i measure stuff he wants to talk about bushing play uh he says that it seems to be a problem that we're always coming up against during tests he's not 100 percent sure what it is but he's sure that many of us have shocks and forks and he's unaware kaz tell me what bushing play is to start
1: Yeah. So basically on a, when we're talking about bushing play, we're 99% of the time talking about a fork. And so the way on a fork, you've got stanchions, those are your black or gold or silver tubes that are sliding into the lower part. And then inside the lower part, there's things called bushings. And that's what keeps it all from moving back and forth too much. That's what they're sliding on. Um, This probably would be a better video, Levy, because it's hard to explain, but we keep going with this. Don't (laughs) get Brian (laughs) any ideas. I don't want to do (laughs) it. So either way, as your stanchion is sliding through the bushings, those are set to a certain tolerance that it's designed to make it. So it's pretty stiff, not moving back and forth. But if they, if the tolerances aren't right, you start getting play and that can feel almost like a loose headset. Like if you put your hand, if you grab the stanchion of the fork, grab the front brake, rock it back and forth, you start feeling motion. Um, so it can be pretty distracting. Some forks get it worse than others. So that's what we're talking about where the bushings are, there's movement between the stanchion and the bushing. And that causes a, a annoying feel out on the trail.
0: Yeah. And the challenge is that the fit between the bushings and the sliding tubes, the upper tubes, I almost said stanchions, uh, (laughs) they need, the tolerance needs to be like, just right. If it's, if it's like, just like a freaking hair too loose, then you get that bushing play, that rocking back and forth. It feels like a tight headset. But if it's too tight or misaligned, then obviously your fork's not going to slide up and down. And they're engineered in a way so that they have enough gap between the bushing and the sliding tubes, and there's also a channel in the bushing sometimes, for the oil to actually get in between the bushing and the stanchion tubes. And sometimes, if you haven't ridden your bike for a long time, you could feel you put your half your hand on your stanchion tube and half your hand in your lowers, grab your front brake like you're checking your headset, and you could feel the play there. And sometimes if you go ride your bike and the oil cycles around, you'll find that that play actually disappears. That's the kind of tolerances that we're that we're talking about. Um, Kaz, bushing play can happen from wear over time. A Bushing is a wear item, of course. But we've also seen some forks recently just like have bushing play from stock. And that's obviously a warranty thing. So if you're listening to this and you check for bushing play and you have it and your fork is near new, that's that's a warranty thing. Think we need to say anything else? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that seems good. Oh, we're gonna go on to some relationship advice. We're gonna take a detour from the bike world here. We're gonna talk about relationships. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce this guy's name, Kaz. Do you know
1: can you do you see it? Uh Egor So, Egar So? So. We'll go. So.
0: Yeah, Egor So, he has a question for us. He wants to know what he should do. If there's someone that he likes but they're going to different colleges next year also she doesn't ride bikes Kaz what's the next move first Kaz let's hear your advice and then I want to hear Sarah's
1: uh, he needs to start trying to forget about her he's got to move on <laughs> he's going to college he's 19 18 like there's a big world out there and if she doesn't ride bikes and it's just too much hassle like you should just there's how many billions of people in the world there's gonna be a great person at his new college that probably rides bikes and will be much closer love conquers distance though what if they're soulmates maybe it doesn't even say if she knows who he, that he exists so oh, i think true. he should move on yeah, yeah i've also, got a lot of those <laughs> yeah are the different colleges like in the
2: same town but still different colleges are they like across the country or you know like how far apart are they yeah. could they visit each other on weekends or is it like
1: yeah you know still so much work i go for convenience and <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Same college. Yeah.
0: You, you know, Eager, Casimir's uh, it, it, right. You're in college. It is a big world out there. You guys moved away. Stay in touch. You never know what's going to happen in the future. But also, you know, get out there.
1: Yeah. I mean, you can visit on like spring break. And when you're back home in town, you guys can hang out those times. But I do think yeah, you made a good say... point
2: that they, I don't even know if they're actually. Like in a relationship yet (laughs) from this question. It's a little hard to know. (laughs) Yeah, if you like someone and they're going to different colleges and she doesn't know you exist, then you should probably start thinking about somebody else. But
0: Kaz, is that a deal breaker for you? Not the distance thing, but the riding thing. Like, let's just say you're single, hypothetically speaking. Does
1: your prospective partner does it help if she rides bikes? Is that like a big deal? It's not really, but I prefer if they either don't ride bikes at all. Or if they're way into bikes, the in-between is kind of can be trickier almost like if they're as addicted to bikes as I am, which I'm lucky enough that my partner is. So we can just go ride all the time and talk about bikes all the time. And it's great. But if there's that in-between where they want to do something else, that'd be harder. But if they don't ride at all, then it's kind of, that's almost easier to deal with. Cause you're like, all right, well, you don't ride. So we can just do something different. Uh, it's all about compromise, but, um, yeah, I think if you're super into bikes, it definitely helps if your partner is super into bikes as well.
0: Sorry. What about you?
2: I think it definitely helps if you want to spend time with your partner and you ride your bike all the time, that they also ride the bike all the time.
0: What, what about if you don't want to spend time with your partner?
2: <laughs> well, then I don't know. It seems like a weird relationship.
0: <laughs> don't people want to spend yeah. time
2: with their partners? No. Yeah.
0: Well, not all In the my time. Experience. Like, sometimes you have to have, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it, it doesn't matter if they ride if your partner rides. As long as they got something going on that they like to do. That's, that's in true. my experience. Yeah, that's the yep, point. That's all that matters. If you yeah. got something if you and they have something that you both feel passionate about, they don't have to be the same thing. Who cares if you go to different colleges? Anyways, moving on. B5010. <laughs> 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 we got an enduro training question here, guys. This is from B5010. How would you suggest training for enduro racing? If you don't have any suitable terrain, he says he lives in central Canada. He's going to be driving six to eight hours for each enduro race. That's some fucking commitment. Dedication. I mean, that's like just
2: driving to all the races in Quebec. Or, uh, sorry, in uh, BC. Like, I feel like most of the races are six to eight hours, even from the sea to sky. So That's too far. Got to be further. It's got gotta be further than six to eight hours if he's doing races unless a he's a fast he's- driver yeah i don't know okay he he <laughs> says that
0: he rides he basically only has cross-country trails around him uh no elevation change greater than 50 meters will be fifty ten. i would point you to the uk kaz and sarah you see those people having so much fun in the uk they just go to a muddy field and they cut like three ruddy corners into it and they got a video
1: <laughs> you know yeah i think he's got to find the terrain that's the kind of the most similar to an enduro race even if it's short and he just do some whether it's intervals or repeats and just kind of work on going fast in that little section um he's gonna have to get creative but i think that i mean fitness is such a huge part of enduro anyways it's not necessarily about like technical skills are a big part but the fitness is a big part too so he's lucky enough he'll be able to build his fitness and then he might have to just do some plan some trips to work on the technical aspect but like realistically the the top enduro and the top downhill people aren't just sending it as hard as they can on the roughest stuff every single time they ride. Like they put in the base miles and they're putting in, you know, cross-country rides where there's not a chance, not as much of a chance of them getting hurt. So, um, it's actually, I mean, I think he can pull it off. I would say he's just gonna have to get a little creative to find more difficult trails, maybe find some jumps or something just to keep those skills sharp. But, um, yeah, just gotta get creative. I think spending some time track. in the
2: gym as well. Cause like, that's the thing with mm-hmm. like sustained descents is it's almost more like a strength workout than like the cross-country climbing um so i'd say yeah spend some time in the gym building up your like upper body strength and that kind of thing
1: yeah so like your arm strength yeah. your forearm <laughs> forearms and breaking hand. like when the, the first time you get on a on a race course when you're just like not able to breathe and you're you starting to arm pump and yeah like when you're going apart, down like so. a
2: 16 minute stage or even like a whistler there's like a 34 minute stage i don't know if they have those in central canada but even just like the sustained long descent will be kind of harder to train for, but I think like all the skills and everything you can definitely train for wherever you are.
0: How how long is the descent from Top of the World during
1: that EWS race? I
2: think if you're Sam Hill you can do it in like 18 minutes.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, like the one agree? one year it went down like Top of the World to ride, don't slide and yeah, I was around that. Like I remember when I got to the bottom, my my hands were like tingling. Like I didn't notice it during the race, run, but then I stopped at the bottom. and I was like, Whoa, my hands are tingling. Like it's never happened. Cause it's a straight out. I'm like, you're just going for, you know, 15, 20 minutes or 25 minutes or whatever, like it was pretty fun.
2: Yeah. I was really disappointed. Yeah. The one time I did the Whistler EWS, I got a flat tire, like halfway or two thirds of the way down that stage. So I never got to like feel what it was to race all the way from the top to the bottom. Cause I had to like, I took a break in the middle and fixed my flat tire. So
1: uh, you should do yeah. it this
2: year. Yeah, maybe. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Maybe you should do it too.
2: Mike versus Mike.
1: What? You cut out right there. I didn't hear you. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I was just saying that I've signed you up for the EWS. The, we can do the 100 together at Whistler. So I'll see you there. Oh, maybe. I need some I need
0: some motivation. Yeah. Uh, yeah. B5010. There you go. Like we said, all those things. And then just session. Build, build like a short section of corners and session the shit out of it uh thrashin is our next pb user with a question he wants to talk about the rebirth of failed game changers so a couple podcasts ago we talked about game changers that changed nothing that ended up sucking and disappearing um most of them sucked anyway and he wants to talk about ones that came back specifically oval chain rings kaz
1: do you use oval chain rings No, I don't, but I know people still do use them. They kind of had their little re like they, they were around, obviously people think of oval. A lot of people think of Shimano Biopace. These are different back in the day, but these are different. They turned the oval a different way. Um, but yeah, I feel like it was what, maybe like five, seven years ago, they kind of had their rebirth and people still use them. I think that's kind of faded away again, but, um, the people that use them do like them. They have magical climbing properties and yeah, I just have never seen a need, but they do exist. And yeah, if somebody's riding, you definitely hear about
2: it during the ride. It's like one of those rules yeah. if you have an oval chain ring, everybody on the ride has to know.
0: Mm-hmm. I've never used one. They look, they look silly. They look like they're bent or broken, you know? And <laughs> yeah, they look squished. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Hey, what about the O-Chain thing? Have either of you used the O-Chain floating crank spider?
2: Nope.
1: I haven't. I'd like to. I think Seb has one now, and maybe even Matt Beer. Um, Again, it's like one of those things I don't necessarily know if it's like, it's, it's one of those, there's a lot of hype around it. I think it's interesting. And I think there are some things it might be doing that are helping these riders. Um, but again, I don't think it's gonna be something we'll see on every bike in the future, but another kind of cool little small product that's gained some traction on the world cup circuit. So now everyone's trying to see if it's, you know, worth it or not.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right. We're going to go on to, oh, that Pito scar. <laughs> Otherwise known as Vapid Oscar, <laughs> um, he heard Brian Park bragging about his 24 pound steel hardtail. Yeah, me too, Oscar. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> he says he finally weighed his single speed. It came in at 26 pounds. It has an aluminum frame, a chromoly rigid fork, tubeless XC wheels, BMX cranks. He wants Brian to explain himself. How his? How the heck does Brian's steel hardtail weigh less? I think it has like like ridiculously light carbon cranks on it and I those 1200 gram
1: wheels. Yeah,
2: the Specialized Roval wheels, yeah. I think are what makes yeah. it. Yeah, it's like, like the
1: team control. Those I are sell. mine. Those are my <laughs> wheels he stole them. I yeah. need to get them. I think them back. he has a <laughs> I think he's got a sit on there too, which isn't a very heavy fork and yeah, he probably 3D printed some stuff or something. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. We should make him it's post may may a picture of it on together. the scale to prove Yeah, we should we'll definitely get a scale photo. We should definitely see how
0: many times he's ridden it too. Yeah, exactly. Ask him about his best rides on it. (laughs) (laughs) Just going to the north north shore all the time on that twenty four (laughs) pound slim donut. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Chris Rayner has our next question. He wants to know who gets the credit for the first usable dropper seat post and he doesn't mean the height right, Kaz, is that Gravity Dropper? I think so.
1: At least as far as I know, like when I think about, but that's just in my head, that could be, there could be some person in a garage somewhere that made something before, but gravity dropper is the first kind of mainstream, uh, dropper to come out years after the height right existed. So do
0: you remember the gravity dropper? Do you know what it looks like?
2: Uh, absolutely not <laughs> Perfect. i'm just imagining i'll describe it you you bringing it to your press camps because i've heard stories of what you used to bring to press camps when you first started going to press camps
0: i did want to bring a gravity dropper because you can get them in 27.2 i think i think you, you could get them in small sizes back in the day and the, the reason for that is they don't use a hydraulic cartridge it's all mechanical so inside it's a big coil spring and then your stanchion tube is this big shaft with holes in it. And to lower the seat, if you don't have a remote, there's just like on the outer tube, there's just a spring loaded uh, little lever thing you pull out and you lower the seat until it goes into one of the holes. And then there you go. It's like a super, super simple like dropper seat post. And it's been around forever, but nobody ever remembers them. It sounds like an I'm easy
2: up- tent. Like when you put up a tent to the trade
1: show, it has all these little Great. holes in it. You gotta yeah, it's, a it's lot exactly like that. Like that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly like that, Sarah. Yeah. I, uh... It looks like they're still around, kind of. They still have them on their site, although it says new for 2013. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. But and it says that they send out shipments only once or twice a month. They don't ship daily. So maybe not selling quite as many as they used to, but they do still exist, it seems like, at least on the internet.
0: That would be an interesting product to get. Maybe not for a review, but just for like, this is how we used to do it kind of thing, you know?
1: Yeah. Even just chatting about like when dropper posts caught on and how they were able to be there at that first kind of moment.
0: I had a 100 millimeter travel Crank Brothers Joplin with a lever under the seat post. Mm -hmm. And I I remember Wayne looking at it and going like, that is fucking stupid. I'm never buying one.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What was your first dropper post, Kaz? Uh, I had that KS, I think the lever that yeah. had the, like the same thing had the lever underneath the, the seat and I put that on my demo so I could feel cross country riding on my demo as typical, you do. Typical cast. Yeah. Sarah,
0: <laughs> do you remember your first dropper post and how much of a big deal it was?
2: I think it must've been when I was working at specialized. Cause I was like full on cross country racer then. So like my personal bike didn't have a dropper post, but I think I borrowed one of the stump jumpers and they had the specialized what's it called control? Anyways, they had that dropper, and uh, so yeah, that was my first dropper experience, and I think it was cool. I did, I mean, I didn't put it on my cross country bike, but (laughs) wasn't wasn't a thing back then. But now I can't imagine riding without a dropper post.
0: Yeah, of course. We're gonna go from dropper post to socks. This guy wants to know; he wants a recommendation for socks that don't feel like garbage and make your feet stink within twenty minutes of taking them out of the package. I just gotta say. I don't know about you, Kaz and Sarah, but I see these freaking riding socks for sale that are like they're they're expensive and they're all tall and they're made of like fancy materials and it just seems stupid. Do you guys wear riding socks and do you think it matters?
2: I mostly wear pink bike. Ones. I get
0: a
1: lot of free socks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> I feel like we have like a sock sponsor kind of so. Uh... But otherwise, no. I would just like buy a twelve pack of whatever socks from the store and be okay. Usually, I no, never have trouble. No, like, I couldn't wear like stinky. cotton socks
2: riding. You have to wear. Like,
1: they need to have a little polyester in there. Yeah, yeah. The athletic socks, like the Adidas athletic socks, that cost like ten bucks for ten of them. I think.
0: I feel like if this is a problem for him, he has like a underlying issue, like a fungus issue, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I would try. I mean, to, I, don't I don't usually know. take maybe, off my
2: socks and be like, "Yay, I'm going to smell them. They smell so good."
1: <laughs>
0: I check them after every ride just to make sure everything's good.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe make sure you're drying your shoes out after every ride, and yeah, maybe, I'd do that. Look, they make like insoles that should help. Probably a good know.
2: point. Actually, I have a boot dryer, and if you don't dry your shoes, they get stinkier. So, yeah, I, it might not be your socks that are the problem.
0: I I don't know, man. Like. Me, tell me pinkers tell me if i'm stupid but these like super expensive riding socks they seem silly to me go to walmart get your fucking socks go riding bikes the, like, your well, socks I'll, don't i'll need defend to
1: have i'll defend expensive socks a little bit like some of them are nice where they actually have like padding in some places i don't think it's as important for for biking but like for skiing you would never use like cotton socks skiing it would be horrible because like it's it makes a big difference when the, the when it's fitted you to your you foot cold, and has like especially. padding where it needs to be yeah so i think some of the this nicer isn't a skiing podcast yeah. I know or it's compression not, but socks. but some of the nicer had, bike like, shocks yeah
2: yeah yeah like descent compression socks when I did races. Silly. That silly that was all I wore like they're short compression socks they're not like the ones that go up to your knees those are actually not allowed in cross-country races I think mostly because they look silly <laughs> <laughs> <That's fair.
0: laughs> hey Kaz, did you did you get a pair of those day and easy socks that are padded on the front
1: have you seen those? No, I didn't get those. <laughs> those like slalom racing, you can, like smack gates with your <laughs> chins.
0: I don't. I, I have them in a box from our f- like two field tests ago at Sun Peaks, and I pulled them out because I was out of Sarah was out of town for a couple weeks. I ran out of laundry, so I was at the bottom <laughs> of my laundry drawer, and I pulled out these Easy socks, and they have like big pads on the top of the foot.
1: Oh, weird.
2: Are they fun? yeah. Um, I
1: will say one thing. I do hate. I have a pet peeve of socks that are labeled left and right. I can't stand it because I can't wear the right. Sock on the left foot, you know, like it doesn't. In my head, I have to make them on be on the correct feet. So, like, I go to get dressed, and I realize I put my socks on the wrong feet, and then I have to switch them. So, I I hate (laughs) socks that have labels left and right. Yeah, that's a a weird pet peeve. (laughs) But that's the thing. I don't know if anybody else is with me, but I want my socks to be able to put them them on any foot.
2: Yeah, yeah. Are they really? Left and right.
0: Yeah, <laughs> this um, a deep conversation. Muckall <laughs> has our next question. It's real simple. Where's Quinny? He wants to know. Well, Henry is on the World Cup circuit. We've done a couple podcasts with him. He's following that. He's on his way back right now. Kaz, I woke up this morning, six fifty. I look at my phone and I see a text message from Henry. Actually, I see eight text messages from Henry Uh-oh. that are saying like, Mike, Mike, hey, hey, Mike. Can you pick me up at the airport? I left my keys. He left his keys in a bag that's still in Europe, I guess. And his vehicle is parked uh. at the Vancouver airport. So then <laughs> I jumped out of bed and went to go pick him up at the at the airport this morning. But it turns out I didn't read the messages enough. It's actually tomorrow. So, didn't oh. anyway, drive to the airport. I hope. No, I did drive to Tim Hortons though, and then I checked. <laughs> 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 oh, yeah. So, anyways, Henry will be back. So, moving on, we have a bunch of questions from episode 108 that we recorded from Tucson, Arizona. That was our behind the scenes look at the value bike field test. D Bones 95. He has a suggestion for testing hardtails CAS. Uh, he doesn't want us to waste our time comparing them to full suspension bikes. He wants us to try to feel the difference in compliance and try to verbalize those differences. Wooden, harsh, compliant, buzzy. He says he's looking forward to seeing what we all come up with rather than not just it rattled my
1: fillings out.
2: <laughs> it was buzzy. <Cass>.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I like to think that we don't do comparisons to full suspension in our hardtail reviews typically. I, I don't think in recent years, I can't remember being like, oh, this didn't ride like a full suspension bike. But um, compliance might be a tricky one to call out. Like Most of these bikes feel very similar. And I think even... You know, you get the people saying steel feels different than aluminum and this feels different. I mean, maybe in some instances, but in most, it just doesn't feel like they have suspension, which is okay. There's nothing wrong with that, but we might not be using all of the adjectives that he'd like us to.
0: I, when I read reviews of hardtails and I, there's like a thousand words about how such and such aluminum hardtail or whatever hardtail like feel like you know what i'm
1: getting at like yeah like there, there are i don't think ever, i mean there are differences obviously and we review different ones and you can feel they do have different ride characteristics but i don't think it's as drastic as some people would think um and like back in the day it used to be you got to get steel because it's so much more comfortable but and you know, we just finished riding a whole bunch of aluminum hardtails and I didn't find any of them to be overly harsh. You know, it wasn't like, they were oh, this all would be too harsh. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're hardtails, but it's like, it's fine. And, and yeah, I mean, he's trying to tell us, he also gave some helpful riding tips in this question about choosing better lines, unweight the bike better, shift your weight back. Like, um, yeah. As much as we might, you know, we talk smack on hardtails once in a while, but we all know how to ride hardtails. We've all ridden them for years and years. So it's, uh, yeah, I think we're doing all right, but feel free to call us out when you do watch the videos when they, when those come out.
0: I cannot wait to hear you compare how one hardtail flexes slightly differently than another hardtail
1: in upcoming field test <laughs> reviews. I can't wait. Cass. The Marin team Marin <laughs> 1 it just feels, it feels more like an oak rather than a, a cedar tree, you know, it's just got the flex. Like, that
2: sounds more like yeah. a lab test than a field test, you know, like.
1: <laughs> yeah. I'm...
0: All right. AK77, he wants to talk about cheap brakes and that, is a topic that is very close to my heart he says it can't be that hard to copy a tried and true design like a dior break add some random changes to avoid lawsuits basically aka 77 he wants to know
1: what how how could these cheap breaks be so bad cas it's uh, a good question i mean yeah he's saying it can't be that hard to copy but i think it probably is hard to do copies of good breaks and still keep the price um down so yeah i mean sometimes we talked about it a lot before where the the pad compound and the rotors can make a difference if you switch out the rows and pads you can get some more braking performance Um, sometimes the lever shape is what's holding them back too and even just the how much fluid is getting pushed through there by the design of the of the lever itself can be can be affecting it so there's a lot going into brake design um yeah i'd say they're getting better but we're still definitely at the very lowest end they're not amazing
0: i would suggests that pad material and rotor material has a lot to do with it also the geometry of the lever some of these things i look at and i'm just like no like you could tell that when you pull the brake lever like your fingers are going to slide off the end or you'll you'll end up losing a bunch of leverage and yeah they just i don't understand why they they are so bad but We've got some bad breaks we're going to talk about in the future, so we won't we won't talk about them too much in this podcast. Uh, ikathus thirteen, Sarah Moore, would you be open to doing a field test in Florida?
2: Florida, isn't there alligators there? That sounds scary. <laughs> and isn't they're it- just they're just yeah, like the big food.
1: scaly dogs. <laughs> yeah, there's fan boats too. We can go in the Everglades and go in those like fan boats yeah, and cruise I around.
2: Yeah, because I hear it, isn't it like, really humid too. <laughs>
0: Did that
1: too <laughs>
0: hey serious question though kaz do we need do we need a fair bit of elevation gain and loss like so we we just came back from tucson and our our test lap didn't have a ton of elevation gain or loss but at the same time like we do need some terrain to feel the differences between these bikes like do you think we could do a field test in somewhere like florida for real
1: i mean may i i don't know i've never ridden in florida so i can't say like i know they have trails but we kind of need a decent amount of variety different zones and yeah it's good if there's like some chunkier stuff and a mix um i I mean i'll say that there's no plans for a florida field test in the near future same with some of the other flatter areas like mountain biking exists there and it's great that it does but for testing bikes and for our purposes i don't think we'll be going there but um yeah maybe we'll visit we can just do like a a visit to florida i, or I would Let's love Tom to and
0: Christina out there i want to go have you ever been no i've never been and for some reason oh, you should go
1: there's, there are actually alligators and like it's pretty it's worth visiting i want
0: to go so bad it's been a, near the top of my list of places to go for some reason since i was a little kid i have no idea why but
1: yeah, yeah. the beach is nice there's beach there's lots of shells i heard it's and stuff. like
2: there's no hills but it's you always ride into a headwind which is your favorite levy are you oh have a God. tailwind? <laughs> so it's like you're Fuck going up a hill and then down.
0: <laughs> I get enough headwinds in yeah. Squamish. Squamish <laughs> is insane for headwinds. I just, I, okay. Um, Pawn sacrifice. Another question from Pawn Sacrifice. He wants to know: Are there tools we would recommend investing in for jobs that are worth learning how to do at home? Kaz, what's a mandatory set of tools for you? Not Allen keys. Something different.
1: Yeah, I mean, like I a, did a, a chain a um, like a cassette tool and a chain whip, so you can take your cassette off. That's something that kind of you know it's not your normal thing. You could buy at a at a hardware store. So some of the more bike specific ones, that's um, like good kit? to have. I guess like,
2: that with...
1: Yeah, bleed kits are helpful too. You're, you're going to want that eventually. So I guess it's like thing level, like what we do buy if first, you're to build... and then
2: like as you get better, like what skills would you kind of progress and then need to buy stuff for?
1: Yeah there are some decent like pre put together kits. I remember a while ago now, maybe three or four, maybe even longer their feedback sports made like a home mechanic kit that comes in a little, little case. And, um, yeah, it actually is pretty well put together. So that might be a place to start something you could bring on the road, like to races and things. But the things that are in that kit are that does have a, um, a cassette tool, a chain whip. It's got pedal wrench. So like an eight mil, um, and then an open ended wrench for your pedals. And then yeah, Allen keys, some Torx keys, um, there's really not like a ton of super specific things you need for general bike maintenance. Good some good cable cutters, that's definitely something you can't just use your normal like um Yeah. So anyways, good cable cutters that's gonna be used for brake housing and derailleur housing. Um,
0: I, I have two yeah. suggestions. Sarah hit on one of them. Get a comprehensive brake bleeding kit for whatever type of brakes that you have. And keep it clean and organized and when you're done bleeding your brakes dry the dry it off and take all the old brake fluid out or mineral fluid or whatever it is bleeding brakes is super easy and for whatever reason mountain bike brakes you got to do them more than you should so we're t- here we are talking about brakes again um <laughs> the other thing it's not really a tool but a nice or a decent bike stand mm-hmm. if you have yeah. like a folding bike stand that you can clamp your seat post in and it's not going to tip over and you could work on your bike i find personally that makes it way easier to work on my bike. And I actually end up wanting to work on my bike than when it's not just like leaned up against a wall and I'm trying to freaking like replace the bottom bracket or whatever. So yeah. AKA 77 with another question. Kaz, I know we've talked about this in the past before, but I want to hit on it again because I don't know. I think it's kind of interesting. Um, He wants to talk about what it takes to be a bike reviewer.
1: Um, Kaz, what does it take to be a bike reviewer? (laughs) <laughs> yeah um, i think the best thing i mean the, what helps a lot is having ridden a lot of bikes like the thing is when you first start reviewing you haven't really ridden a lot of bikes but uh, so it takes some time but i think that the the best reviewers out there do have a, a good base of knowledge to draw from just because it makes it easier for comparisons you kind of know what you're looking at and you also don't think that every bike that you hop on is the best ever um just because you get back oh i've ridden something better or, you know if you're coming from a you've only had one bike forever and then you hop on something new that's yeah, going to feel amazing or terrible but if you're like You really know, out maybe one
2: bike that you've had forever it's like yeah, oh my yeah, god exactly. this is different i don't like 29 wheels <laughs> yep
1: yeah. and you also have to almost be less picky i find like when i when i first started i would take a lot of time just like tinkering with so many things but then at a certain point you kind of have to let that go and just look at the bike as an overall um kind of as an overall package and just kind of to get it set up quicker um But yeah, as far as being an actual reviewer, also being able to translate what you're feeling on the trail into words, that's not always that easy. You know, you can't just say the the climbs like a goat or all those cliches that we talked about before. So, um, and sometimes you do get, you know, a boring bike and it can be a struggle to write about. You kind of have to be like, when the bike is just like good at all the
0: things, but not amazing. It's like, fuck, what do I write? I want, when I review a bike, I either want it to be amazing or I want it to have some like serious issues for me to write about. Those are easy reviews. (laughs) Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it makes it easier for us to write. Um, But I mean, especially now, a lot of bikes are really good, so people start to say, "Oh, you guys never say anything bad." It's like sometimes there's hasn't been anything bad come through in a while. So, um, so yeah, I think a good good grasp of language and being able to describe what you're feeling. And then as far as the difference between like a pro versus a regular rider, I do. We've said it before. I think in a recent podcast that definitely to be a reviewer, you should be an expert level you know, at least at the very least, like a very advanced intermediate rider, just so you can take the bike on the terrain it's designed for. But I don't think you need to be a pro to be a reviewer because as we've discussed, pros have different needs. They can spend a whole season just dialing in their one specific bike. Um, and they're not riding like 99% of us. So, um, I don't think that's a necessity to be a reviewer, but I do think, yeah, mechanical skills, writing skills and riding skills all combined to be a decent reviewer. Okay, we got
0: a couple more questions, and then we're going to let everybody go. McFisto, 1978. He wants to know if there is a geometry type that is better suited to rocky and loose trails versus, like, loamy Pacific Northwest stuff. And, Kaz, this is a question that makes a lot of sense, considering that we were just in Tucson, Arizona. So I would guess that you'd want something long and low and stable, But I don't think I'd want to ride that around Tucson's trails. I don't know. You tell me.
1: Yeah, I think it really depends. A lot of it has to do with kind of how fast you're going. So like in Tucson, where we were, it was a little slower speed with lots of weird, tight jumbles of rocks. And I think there you don't want, yeah, like you said, you don't want that long and slack thing. Like, you know, moderately slack is fine, but I think a little bit shorter and even a little bit steeper head angle just so you can navigate that slower speed awkwardness where... You get somebody someplace with maybe some more purpose-built, higher-speed bike trails than it, and maybe even steeper. Then it's nice to have that longer slacker bike.
0: Our last question here is from Moore, maybe M I O R Meyer. This is for all of us. He wants to know why did those uh, fun colored tags all of a sudden turn gray? Kaz? <laughs> I did not like those colors. They're yeah. horrible, I liked but anyway, some fun. Yeah,
2: I thought I he, know, was he insane, liked them. Like, huh? Yeah, garish or like everything. they made the first...
0: site. They made the homepage look like <laughs> trash. Yeah, they were just too distracting. It was.
1: It, it lasted long enough, so now they're gray. So they're still there, but hopefully not as distracting. And that's why less distractions keep you focused. Yeah. <laughs> Keep you focused.
0: All right, everybody. There you go. I think we've answered enough questions for now. We're going to save a bunch of them for a future episode. We got through, I don't know, a little more than half, I think. And it makes sense to do one of these maybe every month or two. So stay tuned for another Q&A podcast in the near future. As always, put those questions down below. And remember to give us a good rating and share this episode if you liked it. We'll see you next episode, everybody.